the Finance, Trends, and Disruptions podcast, powered by Stampley. Disruption, innovation, myth versus reality. The truth, featuring the voice of the office of the CFO, Ernie Humphrey. Hello, everyone. I'm Ernie Humphrey, the Vice President of Thought Leadership at Stampley. I'm thrilled to welcome everyone to the Finance, Trends, and Disruption podcast. I'm honored and humbled to have Kate Skolnick, the Vice President of Finance at Anaplan. As my guest on our podcast episode today, Finance Dimensions, Succession, Transformation, Communication. Kate is a longtime senior finance executive with a strong background in financial planning and analysis and strategic planning, treasury, corporate development, external financial reporting, and investor relations. Kate has held leadership positions at leading technology companies, including Intel, and currently serves as a Vice President of Finance at Anaplan, a leading cloud-based enterprise SaaS planning platform that is transforming the way business decisions are made every day. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Ernie, thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. So recently, I've posted a few blogs about how to build a finance dream team, and just as importantly, how to engage and keep this team motivated. And I'm excited to explore these topics in addition to a few others with Kate here today. So Kate, in terms of building a finance dream team, what are the most important skills that you look for in your team members? Sure. Uh, Finance dream team to me and from my experience in the different companies that I've worked at is really a team of teams, meaning that you have team accounting, you have team financial planning and analysis, treasury, tax, public company, it's investor relations. So it's really these teams coming together as a team of teams. And some of those have very technical skill sets that are Mm -hmm. very important. Um, That would be around the accounting, accruals, tax code, uh, risk in government and some and governance and some of the some of the aspects. And then there's the soft skills, right? So there's the growth mindset, authenticity, accountability, and communication and ethics. So it's you actually are trying to get this perfect blend of the technical, but also yeah. the best employees. Um, and I've also found that in the in, in attracting talent, you want to make sure that the technical leadership is there. But I think there's also backgrounds that are coming into finance dream teams that maybe come from different industries or different size companies that can be very valuable to create a more diverse conversation. Absolutely. So let's kind of dive in on that just a little bit. Um, what are the skills that you found most difficult to find in recruiting the talent you need? I would say over time that hasn't changed very much. Hmm. It, it does vary, I think, depending on where you are in the country and being in Silicon Valley, we compete constantly for uh, financial talent, but probably technical accounting and work with external auditors and hmm. tax roles are probably the most competitive. I've seen tax roles that uh, a job description or a rec will be out for a year. I mean, waiting just depending on the company and the global nature and what the requirements are for that. But over the past few months, I would say that companies have probably doubled down and done a very quick assessment of the critical roles within their companies that they must hire for. And I'd say finance has made the critical cut as far as the uh, opportunities that I'm seeing out there and the calls that I'm getting for people. People are looking for finance talent right now. Okay, so let's. Uh, you mentioned something that really resonated with me when you talked about your skill set, and you said authenticity. So l- let me dive in on that a little bit. So 
part A is uh, how would you define authenticity? And then do you look for people to round out your team that are a little bit more outgoing than the average finance person at all? <laughs> exactly. So, well, it's fun when I do recruiting for different types of talent. So whether as a CFO or a board member, I think about, um, you know, is this person more of the introvert relation or the extrovert relation? Or if they're like me, they're an introverted extrovert. So I try to meet that person where they are in the conversation and make them feel comfortable. Because I think that one-on-one introverts can shine and extroverts can have a harder time. And so I try to balance understanding their conversation, both on on the roles that they've played in the past, but what they hope to play in the future, and the roles they play in their personal personal lives for the, to the extent that they want to share them with me. So I like learning about per- people, not only just technically what they've done, but what they're hoping to do in their career and understanding where they've been invested in to this point. I think a lot of people try to balance having the company drive their career advancement. And I think it's really important that employees and finance professionals own their own career advancement. So I'd like to understand where they are in understanding that journey and maybe what skills they're looking to round out. Yeah. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. It's it's like I, I always talk to CFOs and I say, you should empower your folks to own their own professional development and give them the opportunity uh, to do that as well. Another thing that really resonated with me is I've been talking um, to other CFOs and they're say, I'm not really gregarious by nature, but I've had to teach myself how to be a little bit more extroverted, mm-hmm. but you have to be authentic because there's some CFOs I know if they came out and t- tried to tell me a joke, I would just think they were like, whoa, 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 you know, uh, what's going yes. on? So that's really tremendously important. So one of the things that you really touched on is, is uh, it's evident that you have uh, a commitment uh, to really helping your own folks drive the professional development. So can, let's talk a little bit um, about cross-training. That's become a little bit more of a focus, which I'm glad to see. Can you share with us um, some of the tips that you have, um, how you've been able to effectively cross-train your team and how important that is for your team? Well, one of the things that I find from people is that their career development um, aspects that they have is they may say, I want to be a CFO or I want to be the person that runs this group. That's that's the next step for me. And I really un- try to understand from their perspective what they're really good at and what they think they may be missing. And then I match that to my assessment of what they're really good at and what they may be missing. So I try to match that up. I also always try to lead people to understanding being a professional of their presence at the company that they're at, but also the outside world. I think all of us that are in finance have maybe been dragged a little bit kicking and screaming to the LinkedIn profiles and what our (laughs) personal brand is and having opinions about, um, uh, about topics and participating in panels and professional organizations. And that that's probably the one place I find most efficient when I talk to people, no matter where they are in their career is how much time they spend networking Mm -hmm. within the profession with people that do what they do or do things that they'd like to be doing and how they brand themselves on LinkedIn. So I like to check in on that. I mean, do they even have a current photo or I'll just say, do they have a photo? (laughs) Do they have a current photo? (laughs) And then when's the last time they posted something? So, and and I think that's really critical because we, you know, we have these online personas now that people look to, I mean, I, 
I will see, you know, the reports back um, for me, how many, you know, all week I'm being pinged on by the company I work at. So people are even trying to find out a little bit more about um, their own coworkers. So I, right. I think that that's really important. I like cross training because I think different aspects of finance are important to different business partners. And when the finance team can bring a holistic approach to business discussions and different pieces to the conversation. It really amplifies their expertise mm -hmm. and can put other business partners at ease that they're not just one note on operating expense management or right. cross-sectioning on a critical tax code issue is that they really care and they've done a lot of work to understand holistically what's going on at the company. Yeah, it's it's really some of the couple of things that you said. I can tell I'm going to be uh, begging you to speak for me on another session or at a conference <laughs> because I'm always getting on my soapbox telling folks they need to teach their people how to manage their professional brand inside of work and their mm -hmm. professional brand outside of work. And in all honesty, I've probably spoken to thousands of CFOs. That's not an exaggeration. I've never heard someone come out and say, I check in on my people and look at their LinkedIn profile and make sure that they're managing their professional brand and to show them how powerful that is and to show them how much they know, right? It's <laughs> yep. and it really amazing. And you really get some energy off of, I really know this and people care what I'm talking about. I think that really puts their career on just acceleration and also really one of the skills that, that I look for in anyone that I work with is you have to have a passion for learning. It's a way of life. And so I think when people manage their brands, they naturally have that passion for learning. So that's really, Absolutely. really neat. So, so let's kind of um, dial in on what I call the ultimate cross train, because I don't think this gets enough attention either. And certainly it's not getting it now and it should Let's talk about CFO succession planning, which I think most, almost every company kind of drops the ball on that. Can you share with us your thoughts on the importance of that? Maybe some best practices that you've used or seen used in that succession planning. Sure. So as a board member on many different boards and a finance executive and CFO over many years, I've seen everything that you're mentioning. I've seen super purposeful succession planning, and I've seen whoops, we lost a key executive <laughs> succession planning and everything in between there. So I think that um, what we need to do as finance professionals or as board members is understand that for specifically for the CFO role, how critical it is and how visible it is as a leader role. And so if you think about it from the CEO perspective, they need to care about the succession plan because it's business continuity and it matters in the leadership of the company. The, the CFO is seen as the person that maybe knows the most. And so we want to make sure that that person, we understand that person that's there. And if they leave, why are they leaving? The second group that really needs to understand CFO succession planning is the board. Um, they spend, mm -hmm. every board will spend at least one or two sessions a year on CEO planning, but really the CFO represents the enterprise risk management, the governance, mm -hmm. they're the key contact to the audit committee, to the auditors. And so succession planning from the board perspective should be more important than I've seen it in the past. And then the third place that I think is important on CFO succession planning sits with the CFO because they need to be using their role 
as career positioning and key talent retention. And so they should be thinking about the people on their team. Who is a potential successor? How far are they away mm. from being a CFO at this company or another company? Do they want to be the CFO? Right. Um, what's important there? So, and what skills, getting back to cross-training, might I put them in a position to learn, to understand maybe what mm. it is uh, they mm. don't know that they don't know. So I, those are the three areas that I think are important, but I also believe that we're starting to see some really different career trajectories. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation around CEOs having a lifetime of maybe three to four years at a company at most, and we're starting to see that statistic around CFOs as well. So mm -hmm. it's a super germane topic to be thinking about as board CEO and as the CFO themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I also believe that just dovetailing on what you said is I think there's really um, a missed opportunity and lack of commitment to internal bench strength because what I often see a lot of my clients, I watch them grow. And as soon as they get to a certain point, the first thing they do is they go out and hire a CFO from another company. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? The CFO is the most important position. They know your company inside and out. And I don't care how smart this person is. They don't know your business. They don't know your company. And so to not have that bench strength is a huge risk, in my opinion, to the company. A lot of companies just don't, don't seem to get that. And it, so. cre it creates a lag time for them, right? Yeah, so sure. I mean, that person deserves at least six months to a year oh, yeah. to speed. And what you lose in terms of agility and decision-making is really, really difficult. So the times that I've seen that warranted is if a company is going in a completely different direction mm, right. or has some very specific needs. But otherwise, I, I would agree with you. I would um, love to see every company understand two people within the company that are on a succession track to be CFO. Maybe they not, aren't actually in the finance organization. I mean, I worked mm. at a company where our CFO was made vice chairman and the person that became the CFO actually had been in a marketing capacity, but they were such mm. a great business person that right. they made that transition. It was awesome. So, and I also think what I've seen in best practices, and this was at a company I was at a few years ago, we would do this annually where each executive would have two internal successors, where they were, what their strengths were, where they were challenging them to work to get to the next level or to be more well-rounded. And then also external candidates. I mean, part of my job is to know other people in my field that I respect, that I think are as good as me or better. And so in the event that I'm not going to be doing the role, why wouldn't I want to help uh, have a good person in that seat that I think could be there if the internal candidates haven't been chosen. So I agree with you. I'm on team internal candidate first, yeah. and that's how right. I want to invest in my people. Yeah. I want them to be seen as the most natural mm -hmm. selection. Absolutely. So so let's kind of shift gears a little bit and go back to my pet topic, the social CFO. So, so I, I've talked about how I think that it's always been the case, but now I think it's even possible with technology. CFOs are expected to impact performance across the enterprise. Can you share with us how you've been able to build relationships and be that trusted advisor with, with 
other company leaders across your companies you've been the finance leader at? Sure. So I think that today's business leaders actually need to be trilingual to be effective. They need to understand the creative aspect of the company. So what is the product or service that's being created and the creative mindset that goes into that? I think they need to understand the technical standpoint. So for me, coming mostly from technology, what does it really take? What's the moat around the technology or what are the most important investments we're making to be competitive? And then third are all the business elements, which would be the finance aspect, um, the uh, retaining and attracting best talent and pieces like that. So I look at the executive and I basically do an assessment of where are they on the trilingual you know, side? Usually they're super pronated to what they were brought in to do. And then number two and number three are either very close behind or very distant for different reasons. So I try to use that as a way to assess in a way what the business leader is as my customer and how am I going to help them be successful. Um, I think listening to their needs is super important. Mm-hmm. So understanding if they, you know, what their mandate is or what they're working on. I think what we can bring as the finance person to them is context. So bringing in other pieces, whether, you know, it's on the business side or the creative side or the technical side, depending mm-hmm. who they're talking to, really putting the, the work in to be trilingual ourselves so we can help them have context to what's happening in the company. And that may change their view or it may not. And then also thinking about how they're solving problems. So a lot of times a business leader or a business executive will come with the answer and they've already, in their opinion, thought through the problem and they come with the answer. And in having strong relationships with folks, you want to be on the problem end versus being on the answer end because that gives a little bit more flexibility and maybe there's other ways to get to the answer that please everybody that may be coming to the situation. So I try to really think about them as a customer but as a business partner and a colleague, you also need to have those soft skills, which are getting to know them personally, spending that time to understand where they're coming from, where they've been, where they've been, and you know, thinking about the holistic person and who you know. I just I try to be the person I want to be, you know, as I want to be treated sure. by other business leaders. Yeah, so I, I imagine it. You know, CFOs are are creative and social. Wouldn't that be a a, 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 a great world uh, for us for us to live in? But I completely agree. And one of the things I share with pe- folks is, what do I do? I said, go go and ask them. What are the three things that bother you every day? What are you? What are the things that annoy you? Or just ask. They're like. That seems too simple. I said, you're making it too complicated. Just walk up <laughs> right. to someone and ask them, do you have the data you need? Do you have the technology yeah. you need? What's what's going on? And then they're like, does that work? And I said, I think so. I mean, it just, you're making it too complicated. So I think they get in their own ways a little bit and trying to uh, go outside their comfort zone a little bit. So, so let's, let's, let's uh, go back a little bit to what I call uh, uh, life in the new normal or, or remote reality is kind of um, my, <laughs> my term. So what have you found to be your biggest challenge in working in a remote environment? And I would say this extreme remote environment, what's been your biggest challenge? Yes, uh, I would say we had little time to prepare, right? I mean, just the, the world pandemic situation and as business leaders, 
on so many levels. It was a very confusing lead up and a very confusing apex, right? I mean, you know, all of us were caught a bit flat footed. And what would I would say is the benefit I'd say is that I feel like that I have a strong team and I've been able to have a lot of emotional intelligence around what they're going through personally and professionally and working harder to balance that. I think when you're in an office, it's pretty easy to be, you know, eight to five or, you know, seven to six about what you're working on. And so everybody's personal and professional life are intertwined and omnipresent. So I think I've taken a little bit more time to understand people's situations and also my own. I mean, on, on the one hand, I would say selfishly, I feel like I got a few hours back in my day because I'm not commuting uh, to my job site. But at the same time, I didn't realize how much I valued that time to decompress, make a personal call, listen to a podcast or just music sure. before I went into my other life. So now that transition if it exists is about 30 seconds. <laughs> so that, that's what I would say is challenging is, is trying to understand yeah. how to go, you know, not be so on off, but more on the present. And one thing um, that I've tried to talk about uh, is just the challenge of managing people remotely, which people don't focus on. They worry about yourself, but how do you manage other people remotely and make sure they're okay? What are some of the things that you've found successful in keeping your team engaged since you don't have that day-to-day necessarily face-to-face reaction with them anymore? Yeah, I've taken basically a three-meeting-step approach, and I'm someone, for me personally, I don't need a lot of context. I'm a very go, go, go person and pick it up as I go along. And what I've found is that for my team right now in particular, it's really important to have different levels of conversation. So I'm doing a three-tier approach, which would be one-on-ones and sticking to those schedules and having those one-on-one conversation. In those, I talk to people about what's happening in their personal life. Are they getting outside? Are they doing anything? How things are going with their family? Um, usually in those calls, you hear a dog or a, a <laughs> coworker. So, you know, we yeah. can have, you know, I just allow that to be relaxed. And I ask them to bring up anything that's going on with them and um, with workflow or with personal. And then I do small group teams. So uh, a smaller Mm -hmm. conversation, but maybe, you know, three or four people that work very closely together. So we talk about business issues, but I also find there's, you know, a way to be social that way where I have one person that's doing Instagram live concerts um, on Thursday night. So we get to hear about how it went. Um, or another person that had um, an interesting ant farm being uh, building in their home and how they were dealing with that, right? So just allowing a little extra time for that, you know, that conversation that used to happen when we would sit two feet apart, Mm -hmm. uh, that just, it really isn't happening. But, and then the big group, so the large staff meeting where we're talking about, did you listen in on the latest CEO update? Did you have any questions about the FAQ or other things that are going on at the company? And some of those you don't have answers to, right? The number one is when are we getting back in the office, right? And it's like, right. I can't, you know, this is what's been said. I know it'd be great. I know I miss it in, on these levels. So, but just even having the, the forum to ask that question, I think in a group is helpful. Um, but I, I do believe that finance teams are tribal in nature. So 
we're used to working as a team. We're used to working late nights, either monthly or quarterly and yeah. having meals together and turning around and talking to each other and getting together in a quick little meeting just to have a conversation. So I, I can tell my teams miss that. And I'm trying to mm. give the space for it in these one-on-one you know, three to one, many to one type of forums to try to at least capture a little bit of that personal spirit. Great. Okay. I'm going to ask you a pretty tough question, but that's why I have fun and get to ask the questions, right? So if you could go back in time, time machine and tell yourself three things related to be how to be prepared for life in the midst of this global pandemic, what would they be? Well, as a famous boxer once said, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And I would say on every level, we as professionals and people around the globe have been punched in the mouth. And I, you know, think a lot about the the suffering and worries that people are going through, um, both, you know, on the physical health and mental health, the fiscal health, everything that's happening, and it can be quite overwhelming. Um, so there's certainly no silver bullet, but I would say that on a professional level, I would uh, run a closed process virtually. So mm. just take one quarter and say, hey, we're going to step back. No one come to the office. Let's see how this works. And are there any places where our technology doesn't help or we're, we're missing some meetings here or we're missing how we pass information back and forth or, you know, all, all, all the people we need connected when we need them. So I'd run almost like a playbook to see if we could get any of those kinks out um, earlier. And I would also better understand how just that kind of work-life balance on each person's part. So I've gotten to know that on my teams over the last what are we on nine or ten weeks but i think you know better understanding for sure who's living with their parents because their house is under construction who lives with their girlfriend and their roommate in a 400 square foot apartment i mean just understanding some of those stresses and pressures of why you know my teams love to be in the office i think i think i would understand that a little bit better um on a personal level I would say that I would go to every concert, take every vacation, <laughs> go see every single one of my family members around the globe, so and eat at crowded restaurants, uh, and so that time being at home feels like a really, really welcome, yeah. nice okay. change of pace to downshift. And then finally, I would buy Zoom stock. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So, <laughs> so let me pull a couple of the many amazing insights that you shared uh, before we wrap up today. So one thing um, that really stuck out to me was uh, how to build your dream team, your finance dream team, and the commitment to building that internally. And a big piece of that is your succession planning. When people see that you're invested in their careers and they you want them to be able to be the CFO of the company, and just investing in getting to know your team, what makes them tick, getting to know your colleagues, seeing what they, yeah. what makes them tick, seeing how you can add value and investing in that. And then just having this commitment to knowing the business and the commitment to helping people build their personal brands and their professional yeah. brands. I don't know if a finance dream team exists, but I would say you probably have one of the closest ones if I were to really <laughs> uh, uh, dial in there. So, Kate, I want to thank you so much for your valuable time. I know you're very busy. It was a pleasure uh, to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for attending this episode of the Finance Trends and Disruptions podcast. 
I encourage you to visit www.stampley.com to consume more thought leadership resources to help fuel your career success. Make the rest of your day great, everyone. The truth matters.